G'day everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Scale-Ups podcast. I am interviewing Anita and Paul Panabianco, uh, co-founders of Nexa This is a previous client of mine who had an amazing exit um, last year, sort of middle, middle to late last year of 22. And um, they really achieved some fantastic outcomes. Not every day you get to sell your business for $20 million when you're a small business founder. And they really did a fantastic job of building this business. Great systems, great people, good profitability, um, good sale process, relatively quick sale process and and good style of exit um, for them. So I really want to bring them on today to talk about their experience, you know, the experience of selling their business and selling your baby, which is uh, kind of what it feels like, uh, the implications of all of that, what they learned through the sale process, the preparing of the business for sale, a whole bunch of things. Um, now, one thing to say is when we actually got into the recording, we found it a little bit tricky. We were missing bits of what each other were saying uh, and we couldn't tell whether actually that was being picked up by the recording or not. So there might be a few bits that sound a little bit stilted, um, but the recording quality uh, should be fine. And um, and it should be, if you just, if you're wondering why, like well, these guys had like some awkward moments, <laughs> it wasn't because we felt awkward. It was just the technology. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Welcome to the Scale-Ups Podcast, where each week you get to hear Sean Steele, professional CEO, growth mentor, and advisory board chair, unpack the strategies that successful founders have used to achieve scale in their businesses. Stay tuned as he interviews the entrepreneurs who've made it, learns from industry experts, and follows a group of founders still striving to scale. G'day everyone and welcome to the Scale-Ups podcast where we help first-time founders learn the secrets of scaling so they can fulfill the potential of their business, make bigger decisions with greater confidence and maximize the value and impact they can have in the world. Uh, I'm your host, Sean Steele, and my guests today, guests plural, are Paul and Anita Panabianco, uh, former co-founders uh, of Nexecute. Do you actually, do you become a former co-founder? I guess you're still always the co-founder, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not sure what the right way is to say it. How are you two? Good. <laughs> Good, thanks, Sean. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Excellent. Well, it's it's great to oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. It's nice to have you both again. Look, um, I guess a bit of context for the audience. I'll sort of set up what we're talking about today. We started, uh, we met in well, late twenty twenty, I guess, and we started a, a sort of mentoring and advisory relationship. You know, looking at how to help you develop a growth strategy for your business and execute it and continue to build the foundations of your business that was going well and, and scaling uh, and scaling well. And a year later, I'd say probably about. A year later, we'd been, you know, and we'd certainly been chatting about when you might consider selling uh, your business and what style of exit might you be thinking about and so on. And I, I introduced you to someone who I thought might be a potential future uh, strategic buyer for you guys, which was actually my old business, um, Adventure Co. So I introduced you to the COO, who's uh, still there today and, and going strong. And I remember you guys weren't in a rush to sell um, at that stage. But I remember saying to you, you know, one of the best things that you can do uh, if you're thinking about selling to a strategic buyer is actually to build a relationship with them, let them get a feel for you, you get a feel for them because there's a lot about you know uh, the ability to work together. Uh, and lo and behold, that same company ended up acquiring you um, almost a year later. So what I really wanted to do was, I mean, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a unique experience. It's something that you know lots of founders aspire to do and may only ever get to do, uh, may never get to do, or may only get to do uh, once or twice uh, in their life. And so yeah. I really appreciate you guys coming on because uh, I know you don't uh, love the limelight um, between the pair of you, but you built a great business that was you know, attractive to a buyer, you achieved a great outcome, and it's such a unique process. And I think you know, your insights into you know, what it's like to sell your business will be really insightful um, for founders who are at a similar stage. So 
Uh, thank you again for your for your time and your generosity. And maybe you could just kick us off by explaining one of you explaining a bit about what Nexiq uh, does. You know, what's the problem that you sort of built it to solve? What kinds of customers? What's the business model? Just tell us a bit about the business. Paul, do you want to take this? Yeah, one? I'll take that one. I'll take that one. So, yeah, so we're Nexiq is a training company. We do instructor-led training to end-user computer users, I suppose, put, put simply. Um, our training courses are generally day-long. They run around um, uh, day-long format in every capital city around Australia and also remotely. Um, end-user, they're focused on the end-user. So the, the courses that we teach are generally application-based. So it could be something as simple, simple as a day-long Excel course um, but there's also Power BI, SharePoint project, and there's a you know there's about twelve categories of courses, about thirty courses across twelve categories, um, and generally in a day long format. So um, yeah, that's basically that's basically what we do. It's as simple as that. Instructor led training for for end users, and the reason they would do it for productivity gain, maybe for simply just awareness, to build awareness. Um, mm-hmm. um, generally sponsored by work. To attend, uh, and that was our and that was our business. Yeah, that's right. And I've uh, and I've sat in some of your courses. So I did both of your. Um, I do I like a sort of intermediate and advanced Excel uh, course, which I absolutely loved because um, you know it's the kind of thing that you end up everybody ends up having to do at work, right? But no one ever teaches you actually how to do it. <laughs> you Correct. And you don't need a degree to get better at Excel, but you do need some time with someone who actually knows something. And who can show you uh, with real, you know, real life uh, applications? And so, uh, I know that actually the business started around Excel, didn't it? And then sort of grew from there. What can you just give us an example of you know, some of the applications that are the most typical or the highest priority courses, Anita? Yeah. So I guess uh, at the beginning it was only Excel, and then we expanded the offering um, into more, basically across all the applications, uh, Word, SharePoint, Project, and um, we then in about. 2016 started at 2016-2017 with Power BI, which was quite new at the time, and not many people were offering courses. I think we were the only ones to offer a course nationally in Power BI, so that was definitely something we jumped on board with pretty quickly, and um, that and Excel be pretty closely aligned applications, and have definitely been strong. Some of the strongest yeah. courses, yeah, for us uh, to date. Well, until the point that we that we sell the business. So, um, yeah, they were probably our, our main sellers, but really at different times, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. Office 365 teams became very important during COVID when we, everyone went remote. So we kind of tried to cater just to the corporate corporate world. I mean, it's, it's Microsoft products, so almost everyone was using them in yeah. the workplace. Um, it was quite a broad base, but we weren't focused it's much, on. It's pretty much everywhere, but I assume yeah, exactly. at some point that means there's going to be chat GPT uh, courses now, Anita, because well, I'm sure it's true. not that far away before yeah, yeah. it's integrated be into every 365 product. Yep, yep. We'll have a little play around with that one, I think. But yeah, I'm sure it's on the way. I actually, I'm in the middle of a, uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of a chat GPT course trying to, you know, Trying to understand how to do it, you know, how to, how to do prompt engineering well. Because uh, yes. there's like, you know, like Excel, you can figure out a whole bunch of stuff by just sort of guessing and playing and iterating, but it's actually quite valuable to learn yeah. the structure of how it works so you can use it far more efficiently, far more quickly. Exactly. Can you guys give us just an overview of, um, you know, when uh, you mentioned you started the business in 2015, 16, and what, like what size did it get to 
when you sold it and if you're open to sharing what you sold it for. I know some of that information's um, public, uh, but you know, what, what can you just give a sense, a sense of that, um, yep. the stage that it got to when you, when you got to the sale? So we started actually in 2013 um, and started pretty basic. It was just pretty much myself and Anita. Um, and we grew it, well, grew every year. It grew, especially when we transitioned from, you know, consulting into training because we didn't start out as a training company. We kind of changed or transitioned into that. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, we grew pretty, pretty impressively, I suppose, uh, every year. Uh, 2019 was a, was a great year. And then the, the, the breaks, the breaks were hit on us in 2020 when COVID hit. Um, and then coming out of COVID, we had a, mm-hmm. a, a fantastic sort of exit out of COVID. Um, and I suppose at the time we sold, um, I mean, the, the, the enterprise value of Nexicure was 20 million and the earnings were, were just under, were just under 3 million. Just under 3 million, so yeah, pretty close to seven times uh, EBITDA, yeah, which is, you know, which is a great... Just under, just under seven. Yeah, which is a fantastic outcome. I know there's a lot of people listening today who'll be like, wow, imagine if I could get seven times uh, for my business. And they might only be at, you know, 500K or a mil or, you know, between, you know, somewhere between one and three, but it shows you what's, um, what's, what's possible. And so what I did want to do is, you know, I don't want to spend all the time on the financial side because, um, but, I, but I'm really interested in kind of unpacking the journey and then also really understanding um, what the sale process uh, is like as a founder uh, for people who haven't been through. So can you just talk about maybe what some of the more challenging aspect of the early days were? Yeah, I'll take that one. I mean, the, 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 I mean, the early days are pretty tough. It's pretty lonely. Um, it's just yourself yeah. and your own belief that you can grow it into something uh, or you might not even have that belief. Maybe you're just sort of buying time to until it ends or you take another job. So I suppose the way NextEQ started was when we relocated uh, to Brisbane and, and set up our, our family here, um, couldn't find a couldn't find a job, so I decided at at an early point in the job search to put an ad up on Gumtree and sell myself as a consultant doing Excel consulting because that's all I pretty much knew, and that's all I pretty much thought that other people would value. <laughs> so it was as an ad on Gumtree and. Um, and to my surprise, started getting a couple of inquiries. And, you know, my first client, I remember going out to the Brisbane markets and, and working out there, he had a sort of some kind of pricing spreadsheet and sitting there in his office in the Brisbane markets. And, um, you know, I put myself forward at a very low rate, but below, a very below market rate um, because I didn't want any resistance to, mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to start work straight away, just get something in, just get started, just get out, get out of the house and just get started. So... Yeah. Um, there was no real, wasn't, wasn't being fussy with, you know, the types of clients or the type of work. It was pretty much just get going. Let's just get going, get some money in the door and just get out there and do some, do some work. So that was the approach in the early days. Just, just don't worry too much about the, you know, whether I'm earning the right work, whether these are the type of right, right clients. It was mm-hmm. just not fussy at all. Um, get some customers. Get some customers. Yeah. So, and that worked well because they obviously it was at the end of that very first day. He's like, "Okay, so I'll see you tomorrow then." And then at the end of the next the next day, I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, you get a few more inquiries, and it sort of builds up from there. And they do the same, and it builds up to the point where, um, uh, well, you can either be you can start to increase your rates, or you can start to be a little bit more selective with your clients. Um, before we did that, I actually got Anita. Anita actually picked up some clients 
um, as well. So Anita was probably we were busy raising kids. We had a young family, um, but managed to work on the, on the days the kids were in daycare and stuff like that. So um, we did that for about eighteen months, yeah, and then towards the end of that eighteen months, yeah, towards the end of that eighteen months, it started to get a couple of training requests. So oh, you're good at doing this. Why don't you show us how to do this? Um, and you know, I wasn't at the stage where I was knocking back work. I was sure I'll do that. I'll teach you how to do that. And so might have done a lunch and learn or an afternoon learn with a with a group of staff. Um, and then you know, we had a website. Then I suppose we added training to the website. This is what we do. This is the services. These are the services we offer. Um, and it got to the point where we started doing a few more sort of training jobs and even flying to Sydney and Melbourne to do a day-long training. So they were pretty tough days. So getting up at four and five in the morning to make a, <laughs> a Sydney or a yeah. Melbourne start at 9 a.m. and then finishing up and catching the plane, be back, you know, late 10 or 11 p.m. Um, and then also... Um, long days. Long days. We bought some we bought some computers at a second-hand, second-hand computer shop uh, in, the, in the suburbs of Brisbane. And we started, I even started carting them around. So they were in the boot or they went in the plane in a suitcase uh, packed up in um, laptop bags. Suitcases of laptops. Yeah. yeah, so that became a little bit difficult. And then we so sometimes we curried them ahead of time and then we met up with the boxes. And so, anyway, so it was all that kind of stuff, you know, not, not knocking back. You know, we sort of, and there's some funny stories there as well. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, um, you know, we put ourselves out there to be some things that we probably weren't. We, we made ourselves look a bit larger than what we were or mm-hmm. more, more credible than what we were. It was really just an eater yep. and I, you know, after the kids go to bed, packing up some laptops and getting some manuals and sending them here and there. So, um, yeah, that was, it's pretty lonely and you've got to be persistent and it's not for everyone um, because sometimes you're not earning enough to sustain yourself and your family and you're still dipping in the savings. Um, so it's a pretty tough time. I would mm-hmm. say that's probably the toughest time is getting out of that, growing out of that, um, and you know, earning mm-hmm. enough to sort of you know, sustain yourself. So we were still earning, we were still dipping in the savings in the first eighteen months. I think, or definitely in the first twelve months, and maybe up until yeah. eighteen months. And then after that, we were probably supporting ourselves. Um, so it took it took that while that, that time. And in the meantime, people are calling up, you know, offering you a job, or, or you know, I've got this great role. Uh, you've got to be pretty disciplined to say, no, I think it sounds great, but I'm going to give this you know, more of a go, um, even though you're still dipping into savings. So that's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. Yeah. It's where your belief gets challenged, right? Like, oh, you know, how, absolutely. How much do you believe in it? Because there's always someone offers you a sort of seemingly easier path, um, but maybe not a path that you think is sustainable or scalable. Correct. And you've come from a professional life. Yeah. And also, Sean, you come from a professional life and you've earned mm. a good income up until that point. And here you are battling around moving laptops and manuals around and working for clients that, you know, um, working for any type of client, doing any type of work. So that's really, that's really tough. Yeah. 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 Understood. And what about, uh, you know, from your perspective, Anita, was there a particularly difficult um, moment or challenge that you guys failed and faced in the scaling process that really sort of stands out to you for you as like one of the, the toughest moments? In the, in the early days, I mean, I had some, yeah, there were, there were some times where I questioned um, our decision because I'd kind of gone from, you know, working on Wall Street to sitting in the back shed 
adding up, <laughs> figuring out prices for clients on spreadsheets. And I, I did, I did uh, question it a few times, but yeah, you got to kind of stick with it and, and try to focus on where it's going. So I think um, it's probably quite normal to have those doubts at times. Um, at the start, it can be a bit scary. Uh, you don't really know where it's going to go. All you can do is keep pushing forward and hope that it's going to grow. So um, we stuck with it. Yeah, we were quite positive, I suppose. Uh, it's good. It's a bit of a resilience, I think. You kind of have to tough it out for a while, but um, <laughs> that was a, that was a challenge. And look, yeah, to yeah, be honest, you end up with those moments, don't you, where you're like, "Well, how oh much more God. resilience and character building do I need?" Exactly. Like, I think I've got enough now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're probably good to go. So that was a bit of a challenge, and also I think just the timing yeah. of it was difficult at the start because we'd relocated here from London, and you know we had no family support. It was pretty tough going with two kids so yeah. all of that probably combined it was um it was a bit tough but once I think um we got out of that first 18 months or so and felt like we'd made some progress you kind of hit a base level that you know you're more comfortable at um then we've kind of got a taste for it to mm-hmm. be honest yeah Paul was always very keen to yeah. you know start his own business so I was a bit more reluctant I would say at the start but um once I got a taste for it, mm-hmm. it kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, I was happy. I was on board at that point. Yeah, it starts to bite, to say. Well, you also realize it's such a creative uh, endeavor, for, you know, for which you get pretty quick feedback too. So, you know, once yes. you start applying that creativity and you start getting some wins, it's really interesting. It's, quite... it's sort of addictive little uh, oh, yeah. game because it's just up to the two of you and your ingenuity yeah, and your thinking. And We used to high five each other at the, in the home yeah. office when we got our sales, you know. So, yeah good good memories yeah <laughs> so when did you guys determine that it was the right time to sell the business and like what factors fed into your decision making process because you know the, certainly the business was going very well and it would have continued uh no doubt you know you had a very strong trajectory and so i know we yeah. had lots of conversations about well you know do we sell don't we sell i mean the yeah. business is going well we've got no real reason to sell but everything's you know Everything's at, uh, for sale at a price. Um, Correct. Yeah. How did you determine it was the right time to sell the business? Paul, do you want to take it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was always, I was always keen to know about the end game. The end game because we, you know, we built it up. Yep. We had the sort of start and the middle, and we we'd learnt and got comfortable with that. But the end game was something that was always a bit of a mystery to me. Um, um, look, maybe we'd grown it to the point to, to a certain size where, um, you know, I wouldn't say it wasn't fun anymore, but it was definitely, it was definitely, I was losing a little bit of enthusiasm. It just became the challenges were just, um, you'd have to have to have doubled down or you know, recruited so many more staff in order to keep that growth trajectory going. Um, so I suppose we reached a point where we were, the decision point where we wanted to understand the value of what we were sitting on because it's pretty hard to value a, a business. Um, I, don't, I don't transact that often. Um, and so there was a definite process there, maybe 21 or maybe when we were having discussions with yourself about value. And so we wanted to sort of test the waters a little bit. Um, and so that's where we, mm-hmm. um, that's where we engaged, um, uh, ben Wilson from TCA Partners, who suggested we do a understood where we were at, and then suggested that we do just a uh, market sounding process, where we 
provide an EM, say, a dozen names. He mm -hmm. did some research, provided a dozen names, and then he went off and he sort of did a bit of a confidential approach to them on a you know, no-names basis. If this company, you know, described the company uh, without saying next to Q, when would you be interested in selling? And he reported back to us. That took him a couple of months. He reported back. And out of that process, I had, say, 24 parties that were contacted. Um, most weren't interested. Some were mildly interested. And three or four were, were, were very interested. I suppose you just sort of, uh, you know, categorise them all. Um, and that was basically it. We paid him his money. That was a good process. That was interesting. And he sort of put a bit of a price, a price sort of estimate on there as well. Um, and that was it. We kind of left it at that. Mm -hmm. and we got busy again and kind of didn't really, we went on with our life. And then two months later, um, um, we had just had an approach sort of out of the blue. I don't know if you can call it out of the blue because we kind of, dangled a little carrot out there in the distance, but we um, we got an approach from one of those parties and that was Adventure Co, who, you know, who was one of the parties that were initially approached. I think they might have worked out it was us and we already had some little discussions mm -hmm. and a little introduction there, which which sort of helped. Um, and that was the start of the, of the process. Yep, beautiful. And, uh, and such an interesting... Um... Such an interesting process there because, again, you had been brought into their awareness. So I know that when they saw a uh, no-name spaces um, sort of yeah. opportunity come up, it was easy for them to kind of put two and two, uh, two and two together. But therefore, they already had a positive representation of you guys and the business that we have insight, which, um, yeah, which again, correct. just helps to smooth those waters. Can you talk us um, – yeah, I'm really interested in the – in some of the pieces of the actual selling. So, you know, how did you what did you have to do to prepare the business for sale so talk to people just a bit about uh, to the audience about the kinds of elements of due diligence um and then talk us a bit through the negotiation uh the negotiation process i'll take that one anita <laughs> um i'm gonna go paul you run a lot of the due diligence yeah well on the yeah. due diligence i suppose once we determine value uh these questions come through maybe i don't know 100 questions on a friday afternoon um look to be honest i'm accountant background i'd like to think that i had things in order uh, and was able to answer most of those i think i responded to maybe 95 of those by sunday night so you know and there was just a few you know sort of a little bit too hard basket um so i think i think that gave a good impression that you're able to give a prompt turnaround on, on, on things you've got your, your house in order um mm. and the other questions i, I feel like it was either I needed to understand the question or or um just needed to i knew I just needed access to it um so that was pretty that was pretty straightforward and i sort of prided myself maybe it was because of my background living as a prior career as, a, as an accountant being somewhat organized and um so you know and kind of knew and expected what kind of questions to, to that we we're going to get asked um and then in terms of value well that's the more that's the tricky one uh, because you have to be comfortable um you have, to, you have to be comfortable with your number, I suppose. To be comfortable with, you have to work out what the number is, and working out the number is not an easy process. So you get offered a multiple, and then the multiple of what of your earnings. Okay, well, what are your, what exactly are your earnings? Because they've got a different definition of earnings than what you might be thinking your earnings are. So, and then what's the window you're looking at? We're a little mm -hmm. bit seasonal as well, so we wanted to make sure that we're capturing the upswing of the end of the financial year into our numbers. So there was a little bit of projection. Um, Mm -hmm. that we had to sort of live up to, which we luckily did. Um, 
So, yeah, your, your number is <laughs> finding a number that you're happy to walk away from. And there's an element of timing there, isn't, uh, isn't there, Paul, in that, you know, if, you're, if you've got a business, for example, that has typically a very strong H2, so, you know, in, in an Australian financial year, that's January to June, and you maybe have a, you know, a lesser first half, then, you know, it's actually really valuable to be thinking about the timing upon which you go out to market and the timing you're likely to be in the deal structure. Because if, you know, if you've got three months, uh, if, if by the time you're negotiating a deal, you're three months before the end of the financial year, everybody kind of accepts that we're going to be talking about a number for the end of this year. But if you're three months into the year, everybody's talking about last year's number, even though you might have a really you know, stellar year coming up. And so timing is a really interesting factor, I think, in depending on what the seasonality of the business model looks like. Yeah, so we, we, we did we did nine months actual, three months projected, and the three months projected mm-hmm. was yeah, Q4 okay. was it by far by far our biggest quarter. So there was Your a big projection yeah. in that in that number that we had to live up to. So once we agreed value, it was based on a you know a projection, and we just had to yep. keep our heads down and make sure we got got to that number. Otherwise, the value would have yeah probably wouldn't have stacked up for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's how we that's how we did it. But I agree, especially when you're growing. Um, the numbers don't make sense. You know, the historic numbers don't really make sense anymore. So, yeah, that window is is really important. Were there some surprising? Um, I don't mean because of the buyer that you were working with, but were there some some elements that you hadn't really given a lot of thought to that ended up being part of the negotiation? Like, you know, how long you'd stay, or like, you know, were there kind of term? I guess any deal structure. Um, uh, so, you know, sometimes people can fall on a trap of thinking, well, it's just a multiple of earnings and that's pretty much how the valuation out, like that's pretty much the deal structure. But there's a lot of other things that can kind of start to flow into that. Were there some ones that you hadn't really given consideration to that ended up being something that you were either able to flex or leverage um, in your negotiation? Well, it was, was pretty straightforward, I guess, in the end. Um, I, I think the time that founders are required to stay on can often be quite long or there can be an earn out there can be different structures and we didn't have an earn out uh, which I think worked for both parties so it wasn't a huge element of negotiation we were happy to do that too Um, and because I think they were strategically you know quite aligned very familiar and given their other businesses um, with NexiQ and more or less how um, training businesses operate. It's, they're already in the space. They were happy for myself and Paul not to be on board for that long. Yeah. Um, so that's not always possible. Depends on the buyer and the situation. Yeah. Um, but it worked out. Yeah, it worked out well for us. And I think that, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good outcome. be tricky. Yeah. I think that's really worth um, just pausing on for a moment. Yeah, because that's something that, you know, people often don't really give a lot of consideration to in terms of you might go out to, let's say you've got a, you know, an M&A advisor who goes out, susses out the market, they get a bunch of interest, you get a bunch of, you know, non-binding indicative offers from yeah. which to decide which part are we going to deal with. Um, and to your point, some people will say in a, if it's a vendor-operated business where the vendors are actually actively involved, they're operating, they're doing stuff, they're not, they don't have a you know, single point CEO or general manager in place, then that, of course, can create a lot of risk for the buyer depending on the nature. So where, if a buyer sees more risk with vendors leaving, they're obviously going to seek to find ways to have the owners stay longer to reduce the risk that, they're earning, that their earnings go backwards and the value of the business they bought just deteriorates. Um, but and so quite often people will see earnouts where they've got you know 
a percentage of the total values held back, or maybe there's a kicker, if, you know, when they hang around and there's another target that's met, whether it yes, might be yeah. revenue or might be earnings in a year's time or two years time. And, um, but of course, it's not the easiest thing in the world to be a founder who's run your own business um, for a long period of time and then find yourself essentially back pretty much as an employee with, uh, you know, or, or you know, Let's now say. essentially having a board and investors who've got a lot of say in what how how it works out. And some founders really find that an incredibly difficult period, um, yep. that earnout period, and not that many founders get to leave very quickly. However, you know, in your case, to your point, just to create clarity for the audience, if you yep. were to find a strategic buyer who already understands your business model, already has their own people, already has management capability, you know, their risk is materially reduced if the founders leave. In fact, they might even find it favorable because it allows everybody to get on with their lives and for them to just start operating it the way they want. But yep. the more they're in your business already, the more they understand it, um, the lower that risk is for them and the more likely you are to be able to get out of the business earlier. Yeah, uh, so that's, and for us it was... It sounded was, like ultimately that worked well for your objectives and for theirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was three well. months, but it actually became six weeks. Yeah, six weeks from walking all out of there. It six was weeks, very which is, And six weeks is pretty unusual. It was a bit of, it was a, bit <laughs> of a shock sure. to the system when you... It was very quick. It was very yeah, quick. When you've built a business for so long and then you're, um, then you're out straight away. It took us, a, took us a while to get our heads around it, but mm. we've adjusted pretty quickly. Eventually you adjust. Yeah. What take um, a nice holiday? That's what I recommend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Probably, you know, because you know, founders don't tend to typically take a lot of holidays Correct. when they're in the process of scaling. So um what about what about through that process, lessons that you learned uh, or advice that you received that was helpful um during the negotiation process? Yeah, look, we got um, um probably got a lot of a lot of advice uh, our advisors at TCA were really good Sean we spoke to you a bit as well just I think it's important to have mm -hmm. people that you trust that you can bounce things off because you don't usually go through you know you might go through this once in your lifetime so it's not like you've got a lot of experience um in this in the in the space in the negotiation kind of phases so um I think it's important just to have someone you can rely on uh, but also I think what we found was that you've just got to kind of be true to yourself and stick with, stick with, you know, kind of go with your gut because if you do sell, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you got to be happy with what the outcome is at the end. You've got to be happy to walk away on your terms. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it's easy to get caught up in the whole process, but you've just got to kind of try step out of it. And make sure that okay, if this actually goes yeah. through at this level on these terms, are we going to be happy with that outcome? Because it's uh, it, it can become a bit of a train, yeah. and it's just in motion. But you know, you got to kind of. We did have a few conversations late on Sunday nights at home. <laughs> just you know, is this is this really what we want to do? Um, so we we yeah. were that we we were happy to proceed on those terms. But you know, if it if it hadn't i guess if we hadn't gotten there then we we were also quite happy to continue working the business we weren't you know really looking to sell necessarily so it's just yeah it if it all falls into place then well and good but um yeah don't don't be pushed and i guess and that's i think that's there's something really critical in what you just said anita which is um if you 
it's no like it's no like it's no different to a um, a property sale process. If you know you've got a vendor on the other side who's highly motivated, desperate to get out of the deal because you know there's a divorce going on and there's been yeah. death and the kids are fighting and everybody wants to just get it done. Yeah. As the buyer, you know you've got a bunch of leverage that you wouldn't have otherwise had because you understand that there's a they're a highly motivated buyer. In circumstance, so if you think about setting yourself up for success as a founder, you want to be in a position where you feel strong, like you you can walk away. You know what your walk away price is or your walk away terms. You know what yeah. you won't negotiate on so you can be firm on them because you know what you're like, well, if it doesn't work out, we don't need to sell anyway and we'll just keep running the business and then we'll think about it later. And that creates a real yeah. position of strength. Yeah, we'll take uh, the earnings if you, yeah, we'll, we'll keep them, we'll keep them and um, you, you don't, you don't buy us. Yeah. 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 So yep. it came down as yep. simple as that. Exactly right. And if, you know, for people who are thinking about that, you know, don't, don't forget that when you think about a multiple of earnings, uh, if your business is scaling up as, you know, your business is still scaling up, if, yeah, you, know, if you can sell for, uh, if you can sell for three times, you'd have that money back in three years because mm-hmm. it's, it's a, you know, represents three years of earnings. But if yeah. your business is growing 30% year on year, you're going to have that money back in two years. So then you start asking yourself, well, yeah. Am I going to sell the golden, golden goose that's laying the egg? Uh, and so on the one hand, it's always exciting to get a bag of cash uh, that you can walk away with. And on the other hand, some people sell too early uh, okay. or for the wrong price and then wonder why they sold it in the yeah. first place because actually it was the thing that was providing a lifestyle of income. They enjoyed going to work. They were enjoying the business. And at the same time, we always can't um, – you can't predict what the future of the business is going to be like. Yes. So sometimes we think it's rosy today and we might have great tailwinds, but we might run into a future period. It might go really well for the next several years and then we run into a big period of headwinds and then all of a sudden we're wishing we sold. And so there's yeah. never a right answer to your point. It's always about thinking about all those factors and going, given all of that, given this deal and given how we feel about it, is it the right deal for us or not? Yeah. yeah. Correct. And yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was going through our mind as well. So, um, you know, we, we knew that AdventureCo one day probably would want to get into their space, into the space that we occupied. Um, and, you know, they were pretty pretty motivated to get into that space. And we, they were looking to buy and execute just to sort of, it was a shortcut to get to getting there rather than growing it themselves. Um, so that was one thing we had to consider as well. But while we do have a good, um, mm. you know, we've got this buyer that's, that's highly interested, strategically aligned. If we wait too yeah. long, we're gonna yeah, might, might not be there, might not be there in the future. So that was, so that mm-hmm. was another big factor, big component. If you look back on your time in building NextQ, is there anything you would have done differently? And if so, what was that and why? I don't. Yeah, I don't think we we could have done lots of things differently. I guess there is a, we could have grown faster, and you know taken on more risk but I think we did it in a way that we were comfortable with so we kind of grew it quite organically uh, we didn't take on any debt we kind of grew at a sustainable pace I guess and also look for us it was also really important to balance it with the family and, t- and time at home so I feel like mm. we could have done more we could have gone faster and harder but that would have come at a cost so um I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't probably change that. I think we're quite happy with how it how it planned out. Uh, I think in any business, how did this yeah, journey? In any business, you can always Sorry, do yeah. more. Um, you know, you can always do more, or try new things, and I think sure we've spoken about the in training, especially there are already, you know, there are always those shiny balls and many things that you can look to do and explore. 
Um, so there are no end to probably mm-hmm. the opportunities, but you've kind of got to pick and choose it and know that, you know, it can, it can come at a cost, I guess. So um, while there are yeah, yeah. different things that yeah. you've done, I wouldn't, I wouldn't probably change it. Pretty happy with the outcome. So we've got to kind of, you know, take it. Yeah, take it for what it is. Great outcome. So if you think about the experience you've just been through, and if you go back to when you started the business, which is only what, sort of like eight, eight years ago, maybe. Um, and when you started the business, you weren't thinking, oh, in eight years time, we're going to get a $20 million um, sale, you know, enterprise value. That wasn't really going through your heads at the time when you're no. out of the, you know, out of the fruit market um, doing Excel spreadsheets. But how has this experience changed your perspective on being business owners and being entrepreneurs now that you've had this experience? How does it affect how you think about your future? Well, the, the question is, do we try again um, with, with another business? Um, um, and are, are we prepared to have another go, have another crack? Um, I, don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. Maybe, maybe yes. I mean, it would be, be a shame. I think we have learned quite a bit. Uh, through this journey um, and we would oh, I kind of feel that we would what we've learned would save us a lot of time and expense uh, in a new venture um, and we you know take all the learnings and mistakes that we've made in the past and you know, apply it theoretically we could apply it to you know what we've done not make any mistakes avoid the pitfalls and potentially potentially replicate it in something and that's if we want to go down that path do we need to we probably don't but I'm not too sure we, we, if we would, um, but I do feel we have to, we're pretty equipped to take on another business if we wanted to, based on what we've learned through the journey, uh, through starting and growing up, you know, dealing with team members and you know, just sort of what we've, what we've learned, um, and then coming out through the exit. Um, but it's a question of do we want to do that? Do we want to go through? Do we do we need to? And do we want to go through it? Because uh, it's once you're in, you're you're in quite a bit. I mean, we always worked in the business, and we, we, I think one of the points of difference was up with us was that we kind of weren't afraid to get our hands dirty and understand the detail, truly understand the detail, truly understand the problems, and then being involved in coming up with solutions and getting involved in executing the solutions. So, you know, when you take that approach, you're sort of you know, you're really you're in you're involved. You're, you're, you're sort of it's hard to get yourself out of that. So do we want to put ourselves back in there? That is a question mm-hmm. that, um, that's being asked of us and we ask each other um, and we'll take, our, we'll take our time to work it out, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Good plan, I reckon. Good plan. And um, I must know what you've learned about, yeah, not many husband and wife teams um, can succeed in being business partners. Mm. Uh, and you guys clearly sort of carved out a space for your own roles based on stuff that you were um, strong at or naturally, you know, leaned towards. And I know you also had to pick up a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Maybe just, you know, you'd never really thought that you'd have to learn about. I know, um, Anita, I remember chatting with you and like, well, I didn't think I was going to have to be learning all this stuff about SEO, but you yeah. actually became <laughs> <laughs> very proficient um, in building uh, in building the back end of the yeah. SEO uh, sort of strategy in the business. But what did you learn about how to make a husband and wife partnership work as as co-founders? Um, I don't know, I don't know how we did make it work, but it kind of just did. Uh, I guess we didn't really step on each other's toes that often. There was 
look, there were no, sh there's no shortage of stuff to do. Um, and we wore many hats. So um, I think we maybe naturally gravitated to certain areas based on, well, partly based on experience. And I did what Paul didn't want to do a lot of the time as well. That's how I ended up doing the marketing. And we kind of just like, we both like to figure, <laughs> figure out problems, I guess, and solve problems. So I think it worked because we yeah. had the same goals um, for the business at the end of the day. And it was more yeah. about how do we get there? So it felt like we were just trying to figure that out together. I mean, we obviously disagreed sometimes, but um, look, we kind of will disagree sometimes, but then we just get over it and get on with it and, you know, move on to the next thing pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, it kind of, I, I think it just, it just worked because we were, had the same vision. Maybe if we wanted to take it in two totally different directions, that would have been difficult, but that wasn't really the case. Um, mm. Yeah, and I think again that came back when we were trying to. I think actually. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say I think actually you know, one of the things about the um, you had alignment in the direction, but you know one of the pitfalls that I see is sometimes there are really different values in the how you get there, uh, and you know really different approaches to, for example, how you make money-based decisions like. One person wants to hire super senior person, super senior people and let them hire everybody else. And somebody else wants to hire just super junior people and manage everyone. And, you know, like there can be really big differences that can cause a lot of conflict. But I always, I think, yeah. as you said it, you know, I really enjoyed watching you both have a very pragmatic approach and always just seem to take a kind of pretty logical, unemotional, okay, well, that needs doing. You do that, I'll do this. You have yeah. your space, I'll have my space. We'll just make it work. And, but you always seem to find your, um, way through very calmly. Anything you want to add to that, Paul? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, we were always, as an organisation, we were always very lean. And so we just didn't have the luxury to dwell <laughs> to dwell on things too much. It was, okay, well, let's do this and uh, have you solved that problem? Because if you solve that problem, we've got this problem to, do, to work on next. Um, so there wasn't, there wasn't much time for sort of navel-gazing or over-analyzing what the other person was saying. Um, it was very, very outcomes focused, and also even the way we got to the is, is that outcome, or the, is the way we've solved it is it is it perfect or is it good enough and is good enough enough um, to move on? And if that was okay, then we didn't we didn't worry about perfection, I suppose, in what we what we did. Um, it was you know close enough is good enough in this instance. So we then moved on, and that's sometimes what we need. Um, yeah, we didn't. We, we didn't sometimes we like we don't we don't disagree very often, but when we do, I don't think we do it on it either. We just sort of okay, it's sort of you know, if Vanita's upset with me, I can tell, and uh, <laughs> we, we we deal with it and we move on, so it doesn't it doesn't linger. Um, but that doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen very often, and yeah, we get on we get on really well. Um, so yeah, I know. I, yeah, it doesn't. That's, maybe it doesn't happen as much out there as as, it, as it's happened with Anita and I, but um, yeah, we're, we're a good team and Anita's great. Look, Anita's great at whatever she turns her hand to. Well, I, I think it's been... Uh, yeah, she's fantastic at whatever she decides to put her mind to. Oh. Um, and when she when she was all in on this, it was, it was a bit of a game changer for Nexicube. 
um, when we put the kids into daycare yeah. and they just started coming into the office and she was present with the, the team and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it, the, the business went went to another level. Um, and, yeah, we sound, you know, sounding, we sound a lot off each other as well. And that might it might continue over the course of a few days. There might be a conversation that we just jump into at different stages. There could be going to bed or getting ready in the morning and we'll go, hey, what, what about this? Um, you know, and then we might continue the conversation, I don't know, at lunch or, you know, while we're washing up. Um, so that's sort of sometimes how we made, made decisions. But to be honest, we're, we're working so much in the detail of it um, that sometimes the answers were pretty obvious, were very obvious what we needed to do. Um, and sometimes our staff were the ones that were telling us what yeah. to do. Um, you know, we, we as yeah. well as we, we relied on each other, but our staff were also very important because they, um, you know, really, they were really yep. bought in. And sometimes, sometimes they, you know, they'd come to us and, you know, I think this is what we need and we agree and, you know, we go on. Okay, this is what we'll do. Um, Fantastic. Well, I, I think um, it feels like a sort of natural um, place to wrap up the conversation. I just wanted to say a huge um, thank you to you both, you know, first of all, for letting me into your world. It was a, it was great to be able to support you on that journey. And I was thrilled for you to get such um, a great outcome. Secondly, you know, I think there's just a lot, uh, there's a lot that people can learn about, you know, that you, you, I feel like you guys really, I don't know if you surprised yourselves, but you, 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 you figured out pretty quickly that you were actually really good at running a business together. You had really great and sound principles around the way you just sort of pragmatically knocked decision after decision after decision over. You kept a very strong eye on financials, on the leanness of the business. You were willing to work super hard. Everybody pulled their weight. And I think, you know, the way you built the business and, you know, fair to say you built an incredible system behind your business, which really helped you build a lot of efficiency, you know, a lot of automation, a lot of workflow improvements that really helped you keep that business lean as it scaled and so you know hats off to you both you did an incredible job thank you so much for sharing your uh journey with the audience i'm sure um, people will have taken a lot um from that and i really look forward to seeing uh what you do next and uh and remaining in touch with you both great thanks sean uh so thank you very much for your uh for sharing today no my my pleasure Anita. thanks sean uh and folks if you enjoyed today uh and you're looking to build a kick-ass growth strategy like these guys put in place and set up for your exit then you should probably uh, check out the Scale-Ups Roadmap program uh, where we're going to be doing exactly that, taking uh, groups of founders through a process where they build their uh, build their growth strategy and execution plan for the next three years with a very strong eye on um, you know what kind of exits they might like to achieve over what time over what time frame and how to make sure they can look at the ingredients um, from businesses like Nexecute, um, things that dial up scalability, things that really contribute to valuation. Uh, doors are opening pretty soon on that. So if you want to have a look, just jump over to scaleupsroadmap.com.au and uh check it out and we can give you all the details in the meantime please uh feel free to subscribe leave us a review or share this episode with somebody who you know would love it uh you've been listening to the scale podcast i'm sean Steele, and i look forward to chatting to you again next week thank you so much paul thank you so much anita it's been uh, been lovely to chat to you again thanks, thanks. G'day everyone, just a couple of quick things before you go. If you have questions that you'd love myself or an upcoming guest to tackle about challenges that you're facing in scaling your business, please just jump straight on the website, scaleupspodcast.com. You can record your message straight from your mobile by hitting the button on the right-hand side of the page, or you can just email them the old-fashioned way, questions at scaleupspodcast.com. 
And just a quick reminder, nothing we spoke about today constitutes financial or business advice. If you are considering making big decisions in your business, seek out a professional who can look at your situation in detail and make sure you're getting sound, personalized advice. Thanks for listening. Look forward to being back in your podcast feed next week. Thank you.